Welcome to The Wayfinder Show with Adam Lacey and Luis Hernandez, where guests discuss the why and how of making changes in their life that led them down a greater, more authentic path or allowed them to level up in some area of their life. Our goal is to dig deep and provide not only knowledge, but actionable advice to help you get from where you are to where you want to be. Come join us and find the way to your dream life. Welcome to the Wayfinder Show. I'm excited to introduce you to Chris Meeks. Chris is a father, a recovery engineer, and founder of Hope Homes. Hope Homes is a real estate investment firm that covers a wide range of real estate investment strategies from house flipping to land development and much more in between, while also donating a portion of their profits to charitable causes in the community. Chris also volunteers his time to work to reform the criminal justice system. Chris, man, welcome to the show. Hey, Adam. Thank you. Yeah, man. So there's a ton of stuff I'd like to dive into today, but I was thinking to get started. Why don't you tell people a little about Hope Homes, what it is, why you started it, and where your inspiration came from? Yeah, you bet. Um, so Hope Homes started about five years ago uh, in 20, let's say like 2017, um, kind of as a, a flipping, just a, a fix and flip type of uh, business model. Uh, the first one I got, uh, there was a family, so I'll, I'll back up. I, I, I started or I, I wanted to kind of um, get into Hope Homes uh, from HDTV. I like I saw these fix and flip shows and I'm like, man, I could do that. Um, sure. You know, as you guys probably know, there's a, there's a lot more that goes into it than what you see on TV. But I think that's what got me started. And so uh, and so I found a house and uh, and this couple, this family uh, with two kids was getting was getting um, foreclosed on in a week. And so um, I was lucky enough to be able to get the house under contract. And then I had to find the money and, and we can get into all that, but later, but um, you know, the short story is, is that after I was able to get the house and get the loan for it, I gave him 5,000 um, to get started, at least finding housing. And then after I fixed up the house and closed on it, I gave him an additional 15 grand um, to, to kind of start fresh with their life. And so that's, what's kind of, kind of started Hope Homes. It's like, man, I really like this. I like giving back. I, I like the feeling and, and being able to help other people in need. Um, and so from that point, I, I was like, I'm going to give at least a minimum of 10% um, for every flip I do. And so uh, anyway, so that's that's how Hope Home started, 10% um, on every flip since then um, to people in need. And it's kind of evolved to transitional housing, um, land development, uh, rentals. And so it's it's kind of all compassed with different divisions um, in the last five years. So that's awesome, man. So yeah. I mean, that's just amazing because I know as a as a first time flipper, obviously you're trying to maximize your profit. You're you're probably worried you're going to lose money at first, and then it ends yes. up working well. And then to go out above and beyond to just cut a check for fifteen k to this family. I mean, I must have really like they touched you in some way or, or something inside of you made you really want to give back. Can you talk a little more about how you got to that decision to do that? Yeah. You know, for me, it's, it's kids, man. It's, you know, kids, kids are so innocent and, and they, they don't control a lot. You know, it's, it's the adults that kind of do it. And so to see kids go through stuff, um, you know, that, that pulls on my heartstrings. I, I was in foster care as a kid. And, and then I, I went back with my mom 
when I was back with my mom, you know, we were super poor um, on state assistance and, and, you know, went through the struggles of not being able to go to birthday parties because we couldn't afford gifts or asking Santa for Christmas gifts and, and it never came or not being able to go to summer camp because we couldn't afford the money. So where it, I think it's made me a better person, um, I also remember how I felt as a kid not being able to do that. And I can only imagine how my mom felt um, not being able to to offer or provide that for me. So short answer is is is, is really kids, man, and, and them having two young kids. I don't want them on the street. I don't want them jumping from house to house. And so that that was the blessing that I wanted to give is why I did it, you know. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So, you know, as we've talked about, we want, our goal here is to kind of dive deep and, and provide yeah. as much insight to the listener as we can. Do, do you mind going in a little more about foster care? Like how old were you when you went into foster care? And then when you went back with your mom and kind of paint the picture more of what life looked like then? Yeah, you bet. Um, so from what I remember, I was in foster care from about uh, either three or four to about five to six. I was in there for a couple years. Okay. Um, my mom had a just a nervous breakdown. She was a single mom, didn't have a real good support system. And from what I was told from her is that life just, um, she just couldn't do it. She was just like at, at ends. And so she legit had a nervous breakdown and the human services felt like, like maybe I was not in a good situation with her and her mental state. And so she had to get better. And then she had to work to get me back. And they had to verify that she was, that I was going back to a good place. Um, she was a wonderful woman. She loved me so much, but, but she struggled and, you know, and she did the best she could. And so when, when I was back with her, just growing up, man, we were, like I said, you know, just a little bit ago, man, we were just poor. And, and she, she worked like two, sometimes three jobs, which meant that I was alone a lot. I was making my own dinner. I was taking city transportation to school or walking to school. So I sort of felt like I raised myself. And then she put a lot of adult problems on me as a kid. So I so I had to deal with kind of growing up earlier than maybe I should have. Um, sure. And so, but that, you know, that's kind of what molded me as, as who I am, you know, today. So. You know, it's interesting to hear this, Chris. I actually have a pretty similar background with the exception. I, I, I was fortunate that both parents were in my life, but they're yeah. still very similar in terms of the circumstances. Uh, and I'm curious, I, I've always felt that because of that, it's forced, um, uh, when, when you talked about kind of having to grow up a little bit early, yeah. you know, uh, having to make those adult decisions. Sometimes you might've been the only adult mm. in the room at times, really, right? Yeah. Um do you think now looking back, yeah, it's probably led to a lot of your success, but do you think it denied you of some of, you know, regular childhood and, and, and do you ever think back like, oh, I kind of wish I would have been able to have that. And, and does that affect your decision around hope homes and everything now? You know, I, I think the short answer is no. I mean, I'd really, it's a great question. I'd have to think about it, but I feel like for the most part, I didn't know as a kid. And so I was a happy kid. Um, I adapted to my to my situation. Um, as I'm older, I think from a psychological standpoint that, you know, it probably wasn't the best to be an adult and make decisions at such a young age and feel that pressure of wanting to make sure that your your parents were happy and you felt like maybe you were 
the responsible party to make sure your parents were happy. Obviously, psychologically, that's probably not good for a kid. Um, but but I, I don't know if I would change it because it has made me such a, a grinder and, and have this amazing work ethic. And, and honestly, I feel like I'm more intelligent or more aware um, of, of social cues and, and, and being able to read people, I think because of that journey that I had to go through. Um, so I, I think that would probably be my answer to that. Mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah, I, I suppose I wouldn't change anything, but I'm wondering, do you, do you ever wonder what it would have been like to just, you know, have a normal middle-class upbringing, being able to go to summer camp, you know, having a, a stable home, all of that good stuff, like, or... yeah, I don't, um, I don't, I don't wonder okay. about it because, because it, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if it would help me, sure. like, because it's, I don't, it's thinking about things that could have been, but I don't, but it would probably make me depressed if I, if I really thought about it, you know, so I, I just, I embrace what I had, however, um, I have children now. And yeah. so, you know, to, to piggyback on that point, I I want my children to be able to be kids and to be yeah. able to not deal with um, adult problems or feel like they have to grow up too fast. I want them to go to summer camp and do, and do all those kind of things. So I guess I'm I'm deflecting or or or, you know, making sure that they don't go through what I went through, in a sense, from from that capacity. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Do you feel like it's caused you to be, I don't know, overprotective or like you're the pendulum swinging the complete other way with your, your own children? I'm probably the other way. It's very laid back. I'm a, I'm kind of the, the cool dad um, in a sense. I mean, uh, so, so I am like, I'm, I'm laid back. Right. And I, and I want the best for my kids, but at the same time, I don't give my kids um, everything they want. Um, I'm, I, I feel like that was the best part of growing up poor and kind of not as privileged maybe as other people is that I, I'm very humble and grateful for the things that I get. And, and I don't, I don't feel like I'm entitled or that they belong to me without me working for it. And I want my kids to have the same mindset that they, that they have to work hard. I want them to go through hurdles and issues in life and figure it out. I don't want to save them. Um, obviously big, big things, but I want them to go through the motion. And I, I think that's, that's important as a father. Yeah. How's your relationship absolutely. with your mother now? So she, she passed away, uh, three years ago, okay. but prior, prior to her passing away, um, we, we had a good relationship, but she never changed. She always, she always depended on me to figure things out. She was very old school, kind of like the 50s air mindset where the man takes care of the household and she's very like submissive and just does, she just falls in line kind of thing. Um, but because she didn't have a husband, I was the guy that she wanted me to make all the decisions for and figure everything out for. And I, and I didn't like that. I didn't want to be that guy, you know, so um, uh so we had a we had a great relationship, but there was there was still a little bit of, of turbulence, I guess, um, because I think she thought of me 
she 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 put a lot of pressure on me until she died. Uh, you know, if if her life wasn't going well, she would put pressure on me because her life wasn't going well. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I don't blame. I mean, I you know she had issues, and we all have issues in some capacity, and that was something that she should have worked on and 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 got help for, and and she never did. Um, which I'm a, a firm believer in therapy. I think therapy is great for everyone, no matter what you problems you have. I think it's good to talk to someone. Um, and so, yeah, the short answer is we had a good relationship. I loved her very much. She loved me very much, but it was a very dynamic relationship. So. And then fast forward and now you're a successful real estate investor. You've left your engineering career. I mean, was it just, you got to a point where you got old enough to make decisions. You're like, I'm just going to put my nose to the grindstone and I'm going to do the right thing and stay on the straight and narrow or were there rocky times kind of in, in between that where you had to kind of figure out who you were and, and how to be the man that, that you are now? Yeah. So I, I grew up fast. I, um, I ran away from my mom when I was, I believe 14. Um, and then when I was 15, I, uh, I got my girlfriend at the time pregnant. And so I'm, I'm a kid myself and then obviously miss sex ed because she's like, I'm pregnant. And I'm like, what? And so 16 years old, I have, I have my son Tyler and, and what a blessing, but scared, you know, I dropped out of high school. Um, I got a job at Subway. I did everything I could to, to be a good father because I never had a father growing up. And so I was like, I got to go all in. Um, And so that really molded my journey as a young man. Um, You know, at at some point, I think I was around 17, I realized I probably need to get my diploma. Um, At that time, it was very important, you know, education. um, And I mean, it still is, but, but it was, it was like, dude, you got to get your GED or your high school diploma if you want to do anything in life. Um, And so I, so I, I, you know, waited through life and, and got my GED. And then I um, started going to college, but I, I didn't have any family aside from my mom um, who struggled. And so I had to not only go to college, but I had to get a full-time job and I had to be a father to my son and, and do a lot of juggling. And so that was my life from, from 15 on, you know, so. Sometimes, uh, it seems like having a kid at an early age, you know, as a teenager actually can help you start to make the right decisions. And it sounds like that's what kind Absolutely. of kicked you in the ass and, give, you know, taught you a little bit of responsibility. Is Absolutely, man. Yeah. You know, so it's a great blessing, actually. I agree. Yeah. So now fast forward a little bit. You kind of came out of that, decided to get into the engineering world. So what led you there? And then, and then of course, you know, now you've gotten out of that world that just kind of take us through the thought process of, of becoming a civil engineer and then, and then leaving to jump into real estate. How did that all play out? Yeah. So I had a, I had another pretty deep hurdle um, and, and I'll back up. So sure. whether it's from my mom or, or whatever, um, but I had, I seem to find women that, that had some kind of issues in, in some capacity and very similar to my mom, emotional issues, just, just stuck. And I, and I didn't, didn't look for them, but I, but psychologically or unconsciously, I would find these women that needed a savior, right? Whether that's a savior complex, I don't know. 
And so in my 20s, um, I, I met an amazing woman. We dated for nine years, high school sweethearts. But, that, you know, that kind of, for the most part, any kind of high school sweethearts kind of pat her out. And, you know, you, you kind of go different directions over time to, to see where life takes you. And so that's what happened. But after her, I would meet these women that really struggled with um, either addiction issues, which, which I, didn't, I didn't struggle with addiction issues, but I would meet women that struggled with addiction issues. I met a woman who struggled with bipolar. And, and so what I would do is, is, I would, is I would try to help these women right? Because I saw the good in them. And so, so I would stay with these women, you know, for a year plus. And it was like, it was hell, man. It, it was, and I don't, looking back, it was like, why did I do that? But, but I had, you know, one woman who would like hit me and break things and go through my phone mm-hmm. and delete people on my MySpace or Facebook or, and, and just put me through hell. Like, like there'd be days where I'm just like, oh my God, what am I doing? And, but I stuck it out and I stayed because I knew what it was like to be left alone growing up. And so I didn't want to leave someone when they were going through stuff. And so I had a really rocky time in my 20s uh, and early 30s with relationships. And I, and I kind of attribute that to growing up with my mom and, and being with her and how she was unstable. And so that's why I think therapy is really important because at some point I said, man, I got to, I got to get out of this, this cycle of continuing to date these women that are good people, but have a lot of issues that I'm trying to take on that I shouldn't be taking on. And so fast forward into my thirties and, you know, I'm hanging out with the wrong people and, and, and trying to help everybody and, and wrong place, wrong time. And next thing you know, I get into a fight and never been in trouble before, uh, or, you know, clean records, some, 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 some traffic tickets. And so I take it to trial, right? Second degree assault and I lose. And I had a public defender, uh, because that's all I could afford at the time. And he was a very smart guy and, and a great guy. We're actually still friends, but public defenders have a huge caseload. And so he got to my case that weekend before my trial. And so um, I ended up losing a trial. It was a week long trial. The jury deliberated for eight hours and uh, uh, or maybe even longer. It was like a day or two they deliberated. So there was definitely some, you know, some back and forth. And they came back and, and I was found not guilty of, uh, you know, all the little minor charges and everything, but guilty of second degree assault. Hmm. And so. Um, I was, I was dumbfounded, right? A guy who's never been in trouble. I thought I had a, I had a gun pulled on me. So I thought I had a really good, a really good case. Uh, But anyway, so I went to sentencing. I had 103 people write letters for me. I had organizations because in my twenties, I still have that heart to that, that like servant heart. And so I was part of big brother, big sister and different organizations helping people. And so um, I had all these letters written towards me. And so the judge said, listen, man, it sounds like you're maybe a good guy, but with Colorado law, I have to give you a minimum of five to 16 years. Never wow. been in trouble. Five to 16 years. And so the judge says, listen, I'm going to give you the minimum, but, but my hands are tied. And so I'm going to give you five years. And so off I went. And, uh, and I was like, holy smokes, like this is insane. I'm leaving my son. 
who I had at 16, who we were best friends. I'm leaving him alone. I have so how old is he now at this point? How old is Tyler? He's 24. No, I mean, I'm sorry. When this happened, how old was he? Oh, he was, um, let's see. He was born in 98. This happened in 2013. So he was like 15 years old. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So right at that age of where he's starting to become a man himself. Yeah. So, yeah. He really needs his dad. Um, so he took it really hard and, and I, and I didn't have any control over it. Um, and it's, it was tough, man. So, uh, so anyway, so I, I went in and, uh, and I'm going to tell you, it's not like the movies. I was, my first day I was scared and my first day I dropped the soap. Like it's so slippery. It's like, <laughs> it like a, a, a layer of like baby oil on it. Um, and so there was like six dudes in there and I, and I, and I legit, like it got wet. It was like, whoop. <laughs> and I was like, oh crap. And I <sighs> dropped it. And these dudes looked around, like they looked back. Cause I'm like, ah. and, uh, and I was like, well, this is it. And then, and then they just looked back and kept showering and I'm all like, what's wrong with me? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but no, but, they, they, but it wasn't like I didn't, you know, they didn't, nobody tried to do anything, which was like, oh, thank God, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, and then as I went through my journey, um, I did two and a half on the five inside. I did a year in the halfway house and then a year on uh, my parole. Um, but through my journey, I met a lot of really amazing men. There is, there is men in there that, really should be in there right i mean that that's the place for those guys but i would say the majority like there was this one dude that went to a wedding had some drinks with his brother drove home something jumped out in front of their truck they went off the road he rolled the truck killed his brother and got double digits for dui amazing dude has the anguish of killing his brother now he's in prison when he gets out he's gonna have the hardest time getting a job he's gonna have the hardest time finding housing and he's going to have that stigma of society that we give on people for having a blemished record, but an amazing, an amazing dude. And there's so many guys like that in there. So anyway, so fast forward, you you get out, I get out. And then I become very involved with criminal justice reform because of some of the things I've seen in there that I think could use a little bit of massaging or help. And so I'm on different boards as appointed by the mayor of Denver and, uh, and then I, I'm on other boards as well in this in this space. So, so anyway, I wanted to bring that up to you guys that that it hasn't always been, you know, a great situation. I watched HGTV inside prison in my cell. Uh, we have I got a TV and I'm just watching and and that was my show. And yeah. so once once I saw that, then I I asked my son's mom. I'm like, can you get me these books? So I could start learning about how to flip houses and so I could start learning about real estate investment. And so that's what I did while I was inside. And so when I got out, I just hit the ground running, had no mentorship. I just had YouTube videos once I got out, the knowledge I learned from books and, uh, and just my passion to, to do better because I'm going to be honest. I, I tried to get a job. I tried to get housing. I got hired three times on the spot. And when they found out about my record, they let me go before I even started. Mm-hmm. They liked me at the interview, but they didn't like me once they saw on paper that I had second degree assault. Same with housing. I made great. I made good money. At, you know, I was able to get out. I, I save up money, this and that. I'm like, I have the money to pay the rent. And they're like, yeah, but you have a record. So we can't give you housing. So sure. the only housing I could find was with, was with a bunch of addicts 
who were still doing drugs and 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 committing committing crimes and stuff inside this housing facility where I'm just trying to do well. And if I had an addiction issue, I probably would have fell right back into that into that grind of addiction. And but that was the only place I could find. So hmm. anyway, I'm sorry that's a long long answer to maybe a short question, but. No, that's great. That's better no, than that's the engineering shit that I asked about. So <laughs> let's actually dive into a little more about the the reform that you're doing. Like, like, what are you actually doing related to that? What's your goal? I mean, are there specific things? And sorry for my ignorance on the whole world. Yep. Are there specific things, laws you're trying to change or programs you're trying to help develop? Or like, what does that look like? Yeah, uh, great question. So it's, it's, it's so vast and there's so many great people that I'm even learning from, you know, mentors that, that I just see what they're doing. Um, I am working with people in legislation. I, I currently am on a board, the board I, I told you that Mayor Hancock appointed me to, it's, it's called a community corrections board and it's for the city and county of Denver. And, and so what that board is, is, is while individuals are inside prison or they get sentenced to the halfway house, the board of, of made up of 21 people, sheriffs, district attorneys, um, legislators, senators, whatever. We are all on this board and we make a decision if this individual should get a chance to live in the community, AKA the halfway house. And so we review their files and, and we make a decision. So I'm blessed that they let me on this board because I'm one of the few um, if not only, I, I know I'm the only on on the Denver Community Corrections Board that has a record that they are giving me that latitude to to make a decision and to offer my input. And surprisingly, they have welcomed me with open arms, and they're like, "Please give us give us your thoughts, give us your input. We we don't know this side. We just know it from textbook or paper." Uh, and so it's been a really great partnership and I'm learning from them and they're learning from me. So, so I'm trying to do a lot with the halfway house um, and how to reform that, how to make it better, how to help the recidivism where when you get out, you don't go back. And mental health is big. Uh, addiction is big, you know, and, and so there's a lot of different people working from different sides. But I would say Colorado is very progressive in a positive way. And, and they are, they're trying to not warehouse people inside prisons, trying to get them help, trying to change things where housing becomes easier and, and your record is not going to be a life sentence for you when getting employment. So from that capacity, I'm just trying to touch wherever I can to help, uh, mainly housing, employment, and then lowering the recidivism. Aside from that, I, I work with a organization, they're a nonprofit called Breakthrough, they're an amazing organization. Anybody can join them and go into the prisons uh, with them. Um, they have they have different events. So we'll, we'll do a, a kickoff event uh, where we go into the prison for one day. It's like six hours, and um, and they hand select um, a cohort of individuals that really want to be in this program. It's an eight month program built on um, entrepreneurship. And, and, and the, the steps on being an entrepreneur and everything that goes into that. Um, and I went to La Vista, which is a woman's prison. I did it twice. And it is so impactful. One of the things they do is this empathetic, empathy building thing where all the participants, the volunteers stand on one line 
then five feet, you have all the individuals inside. And they ask these questions, normal questions, because we're all humans, right? Who had two parent households? And you would see all the volunteers go back a line as, as to someone who's had two parent households. And then you would see, I would say 90% of the people inside prison go to the front of the line that says they didn't have two parent households. And it was, it was very unique. Another question was, have you ever thought about suicide? And you would have, or have you ever tried to commit suicide? And you would have people on the volunteer side go to the line and people from the prison side go to the line. And, and you start seeing that we're not all that different, that we all have similar struggles. And it was, it became emotional. A lot, a lot of the people that were crying, a lot of the individuals on both sides of the line were, it, it was, I don't, it was very impactful. And so I would encourage anyone to reach out and to become a, it's free, become a, a volunteer for Breakthrough and, and go inside and, and just get a taste of it and just see, I mean, it's, it's not like TV. It's, it's a really cool um, and humbling thing that, that they do. So anyway, um, but that's another thing that I do. So is Breakthrough a national organization or is that a Colorado local thing? Yeah, so it started off as Defy, D-E-F-Y, and they started off in uh, California. And so there were a couple things with Defy that didn't quite work out the way they thought. Like there, there were some things that they wanted to improve on. And so they kind of uh, branched off and, and called it Breakthrough. So Breakthrough is a, is a Colorado thing that started, I think it started in like 2017, but it really stems from an organization that you can Google called Defy. Um, out of out of California. Have you, uh, with, with your business and your success there, have you uh, employed uh, any of the folks you've met through some of these programs or or even done partnerships or anything like that? Yeah. Uh, with them? Yeah. Good question. I um, So it's just me right now. As I evolve, I, I, I'll look into, into that. I, I do have people that come and, and ask for help or jobs and I will refer them. Um, I'm on a board with this organization called Remerge or Remerge.com, and they help. Their whole mission is to help people that are coming out of incarceration find jobs and work. And and the people that run um, Carol and Ruhala, they're, they're different individuals that that started it, and and they're amazing. Their heart is in the right spot. It's nonprofit. Carol has taken a loss for like a year. She's just paying out of her own pocket. So. Uh, anyway, so I refer people to them. As far as investment and stuff like that goes, I'm an I'm an open book. I want the people in my circle to be where I'm at, to be successful. Uh, and so, you know, if I can help you out in some capacity, if I can help you out with knowledge, you know, whatever I can do, I'm going to do it. If you want to invest 25 grand plus into a flip, I'll show you how to flip houses. You know, or I'll show you what I do. And so I. You know, I, I do do that because I want everyone to succeed. I want everyone to, you know, be successful, if, you know, if whatever success means to you. So, so yes and no. No, I don't employ people, but I offer tools. What, um, what else? I, I understand that you, uh, you, you, Adam was just telling me a little bit about you actually have had a comedic career. I did, man. Yeah, I was, um. Yeah, I was a stand-up comedian. Um, <laughs> before I went in, I tried it out. I loved it, and and I started doing really well. I I got some mentorship from some really great guys 
One of them, uh, this guy named Chris Fonseca, he's in a wheelchair. Uh, he has cerebral palsy. And this dude is so smart and so funny. He was on Letterman. He was on Baywatch on one of the episodes. Um, and so I got to tag along, take him on rides and stuff. And then he introduced me to, to really um, successful people in that industry. Um, Sinbad and Russell Peters, and wow. like different, yeah, Bill Bellamy, just different people that are doing well in comedy. And I wasn't too bad myself. Um, I got to open for some people. I won the semifinals for uh, the Great American Comedy Festival in Nebraska. Wow. Um, I was at Improv and, and Comedy Works and Loonies down in Colorado Springs. And um, yeah, man, I was kicking butt. And then, uh, and then I got locked up. And so <laughs> I did two shows for the guys inside which is a lot of pressure, right? You have these dudes with tattoos everywhere and they're just like, yeah, and you're killing 16 people. And, and so you're doing jokes. And, and the coolest thing was to watch these guys laugh because you don't, they don't laugh. Right. And so I was like, this is it. I, if they don't laugh, I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, and so it was just, it was super cool to like, just to see people laugh and, and do that. But yeah. I never, I never continued it when I got out. It, it was, uh, it's hard, man, because it's at night. It doesn't pay very good until you really make it. And I can't stay out till two in the morning. And you yeah. know, then, then you're drinking, and you know, I just I'm getting too old for that, man. So, yeah, but yeah, it was fun. That's fun, though. That was probably a really cool experience to have. It was, I'm sure yeah. you met a lot of very interesting people, even other than <laughs> the one, the famous ones you already met. I'm sure just a bunch of local comedians, hilarious people. You still stay in touch with any of that crew? Sort of. A, a few of them. I mean, I watch them on Facebook and stuff. One, There's some guy, um, he's a Christian comedian, and he's got, he's really blown up. His name is John Christ. If, if you guys, he, he does a lot of videos and stuff. But um, he started right beside me in Colorado Springs at Looney's. And wow. uh, and then he blew up. He's in L.A. now. And, I mean, he he was just about to have a Netflix special. And, wow. Uh, oh, nice. He's, a, he's an amazing guy. Yeah. So, if you Google them, you'll be like, oh yeah, I think I've seen this video. But uh, but anyway, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. There's been a, I mean, your journey is just amazing. And uh, and all your your varied experiences are really great too. You're kind of a renaissance man. So yeah, Chris, we, uh, we're at that point where we like to ask a few rapid fire questions, just about a, a few different topics. And just first thing that comes into your mind, if you can just let us know what that is. And our yeah. very first one, is just uh, if you can tell us a hack, something that um, you know maybe you use for productivity or you know something that you you consider a a life hack, could be an app, could be a a routine, a vitamin, something a cheat code basically. Yeah, um, tequila uh, helps. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll put that down. Yeah. Is there a I mean, favorite tequila? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, you know, I like Casamigos right now. That's pretty right. good. Pretty good. Like no, I, I really don't have a, I don't have an app or anything that I, that I really use um, right now. I, I would say YouTube and Google really are my biggest hacks. Uh, yeah. When I have issues, I just Google something and I just figure it out. So, yeah. yeah, I don't blame you. Yeah. <laughs> Second question is, is name a favorite that you have. And this could be a favorite book, movie, podcast, band. I don't know, just something you love. Comedian. So, okay, so what got me started, what book got me started was uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad from oh, yeah. Robert Kiyosaki. Um, sure. it, it's kind of broad. It's sort of real estate, but it's um, that was something that got the wheels turning. Like, do you need college? 
um, can you make it as an entrepreneur? Um, and so that, that kind of got my, my brain thinking. Heck yeah, man. That's a paradigm shifter for a lot of people. So yeah. that's a good one. Yeah. Chris, what's something you would tell your 25 year old self that you know now and would advise them on? I would say a few things. One is, is I think that every single person should do sales. They should, they should get mm -hmm. a sales job, even if it's for six months. I think being able to sell whatever it is, even yourself is so important. And so being a salesman is very important. And the second thing is networking. It talk to everybody. Everybody has some kind of journey where you can help them with something and they can help you with something. And so I talked, I talked to people in the grocery store. I don't, I talked to everybody. So I, I would tell my 25 year old self that, oh, and you can't help everyone. That's probably the number one thing, right? It's like people don't change unless they want to and really go through the work themselves. So you can't, you can't save the world trying to change people. You just work on yourself. Heck yeah. What do you think holds people back from being happy? I think it's your mindset. You can look at anything and find the negative in it. You can look at anything and find the positive in it. And so if you, if you look at something, even if it's really bad and, and you say, but that helped me in this way, or, or this is positive because of this, that is the best way to live your life. I, I won't hang out with people that are very negative and have black clouds over them because it brings me down. I've had, I've had a rough life. There's people with way worse lives than I've had. Um, but if you're positive about your whole journey, um, it's only going to, it's only going to help you in the end. So that's, that would be my advice. Nice, man. So before we completely wrap up, tell the listener a little bit about your Lamborghini story. <laughs> All right. So, so I have a Lamborghini. Um, I got it a year ago, uh, this month. I, um, I'm all about manifesting, calling the universe, people say prayer, whatever you want to call it, right? So for the last year, the year prior to buying it, every night before I went to bed, I would Google Lamborghinis for sale and I would look at the Lamborghinis and see the prices and just like dream about owning one. Well, one day there was one on this website where sellers can put it on and people can bid on it. And it came up and I was like, I've seen Shark Tank, I could bid these people up. And so I, uh, I threw a bid in there and, and, before I knew it, everyone stopped bidding and the clock went to zero. And they're like, oh. you just bought this quarter million dollar car. And I'm like, <laughs> holy smokes, I don't have a quarter million dollars. Um, <laughs> what am I going to do? Like, I was freaked out. And uh, so, but I was positive and said, all right, I'm going to figure this out. And so I was able to, I had some rental properties. I was able to get some HELOCs on them. I had a little bit of cash in my account. And so I gathered all the money up. I sent it out to Miami. Next thing I know, the car got shipped out. And, um, and it's been such a blessing. I pick up kids that get bullied. I, I put something on, on my social media and, and I had a res response from about five families and they said, Hey, if, you know, I said, if your kid's getting bullied, I'll pick them up for free. And wow. so I did my first, my first one last year, this kid came out, the, the, the whole school came out. It was a middle school. He's 11 years old and they surrounded the car. They're all pumped up and like, they were, Oh my God, it's so cool. And they're like, who are you here to see? And I told them, and you could hear the murmur through the crowd. And then this kid comes out and his head's down and he's really quiet and meek. And, and I was like, what's up, man? Because I knew what he looked like because his parents sent me his picture. And, and I'm, he's like, hey. And I gave him a hug. I was like, what's up, man? Let's go. Let's do it. So he jumped in the car. And this, the, the kids were shouting his name. Like they were chanting his name. 
The window was down. I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. And he was legit shaking in my car. Like his head was down and he was shaking. And and so we drove out and we drove to his parents' house. Two days later, I get a letter and, and I still have it. And, and it was from him. And he said, thank you so much, Chris. He said, when I went back to school the next day, my bully came up to me in the lunchroom and said, that was the coolest thing. Do you know him? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, now me and my bully are friends and I'm not scared to go to school anymore. And it was just wow. like, oh, dude. So tons of stuff with kids with the Lamborghini. It is. It would put me in a financial bind for a little bit, but what a blessing, right? And so that is the Lamborghini story. Yeah. That's that awesome, is amazing. Man. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, Chris, we again, thank you so much for yeah. coming on. This has been an awesome conversation. And I, I, I'm sure there's going to be a ton of people that get a lot of value out of this. Um, if somebody wants to follow along or get in touch with you, where would you direct them to? Yeah, so my website, which is still a little under construction, but it's uh, it's uh, hopehomesco or hopehomesco.com. Um, you can also email me at chris, C-H-R-I-S, at hopehomesco.com. And you could also throw me a text if I get too many messages. Maybe we'll just give it the email. <laughs> so I don't have to change my number. I don't know how, how broad this is uh, going to go, but... But um, email me and I don't mind, I don't mind swapping numbers with you um, and, and, you know, trying to help you out in some capacity. Um, so again, Chris at hopehomesco.com. And Chris is also a pretty good social media follow too. Chris, what's your, what's your handle on Instagram? Yeah. So Instagram, it's cmeeks25, so C-M-E-E-K-S 25. And then if you want to find me on Facebook, Send me a, a message because I get a lot of people that try to friend request me that I think just want to sell me Bitcoin. And <laughs> so uh, so my um, my Facebook is just Chris Meeks. And uh, you'll see my right now. I currently have my son. I have a four year old son, too. Uh, and so you'll see his picture on there as well. So go ahead and send me a message and then I'll, I'll add you. Yeah. Chris, All right, just... buddy. Well, thanks for everything. Sorry. Go ahead, Luis. Yeah, I just want to say thank you also. It's the way you're going to, probably the same thing you're going to say. You've been amazing. I mean, uh, I, I can feel your energy, your positivity. I can tell why everybody wants you on their board to help with uh, all of the causes you're involved with. I mean, your your way of turning, uh, you know, uh, coal into a diamond is is uh, is very inspirational. So thank, thank you. Thank you, man. I appreciate mm. that. appreciate both of you guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah man. Cool. All right, man. We'll talk soon. All right. See you guys. We hope you've enjoyed the Wayfinder Show. If you got value from this episode, please take a few seconds to leave us a five-star rating and review. This will allow us to help more people find their way to live more authentic and exciting lives. We'll catch you on the next episode.